Hey, are you or someone you care about considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court, an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome? Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com and stay tuned at the end for the legal language. Ready? Here we go. My guest today is Sarah Moss from Cornerstone of Hope. They have some amazing programs available to support families and children through traumatic experiences and difficult transitions, whether it's grief, divorce, separation, or needing some help with dealing with emotions and changes and transitions. These are some very helpful programs that they've developed, and they even offer training for people who would like to volunteer with them. Listen up as we meet Sarah and find out more about what they can do to support you. I am so excited to bring to you today a lovely lady who is making some incredible changes in our world for those who who need support. And she's going to tell you more about the services that are available through her organization and how she got to be involved. So with me today is Sarah Moss from Cornerstone. Can you please tell us more? about what you do and and who you are so happy that you're here <laughs> thank you Dina I'm so happy to be here cornerstone of hope um, was born out of a need or an observation of families who are going through death separation and divorce and were left without supports um, particularly children we as adults make these great decisions that impact our kids and we don't always think to stop to think and go how's that impacting them you know, we just go on our merry little life and everything's better for us. And, and honestly, a lot of times everything's better for them, mm-hmm. but we don't take into account the massive changes that they have to navigate and that they have to overcome. Um, we have this, this belief that children are inherently resilient, but the truth is we have to teach them healthy resiliency so that they don't become adults and have to do all that work trying to figure out their own relationships and their own selves afterwards so it was born out of that need and that observation of, of kids and families who are like we're divorced now what and so we step fill the gap and it can be tough because parents are trying to heal and deal with their own fallout and they realize in general kids are very resilient we see how resilient they can be and we just hope that they'll bounce back you know we have a couple maybe little conversations with them and maybe something comes up at school or in another in sports or in some other environment where we realize, Oh my gosh, there's something more under the surface. And now it's, now it's becoming 
a problem for them or for, or for where they're trying to fit into their part of society. Absolutely. And the behaviors that children start expressing in their other relationships, whether that's at school or in sports or in their friendships or at the other parent's house. Oh, yeah. Those are the kids that are actually benefit from getting help because their mm-hmm. behavior says, hey, I'm not okay. But there's a large group of kids that don't exhibit negative behaviors. They mask really well. They behave perfectly because they have this ingrown belief that if they behave, everything will be okay. And maybe their parents will even get back together and Mm. they become the perfect kids and they get to be the invisible kids. Um, I was that kid. I became the perfect kid. I didn't have behavioral problems. I didn't have messed up relationships in high school. I didn't, I didn't struggle in school. I didn't struggle at work. I, I was, I was that perfect kid. And my brother was not the perfect kid. And he got a lot of attention for for acting out and for misbehaving. And I was invisible. And I guess I have a heart for those invisible kids because they too are hurting. They too are learning poor ways of relating to other people. They're not functioning well in society, even though they look like they are. And so I firmly believe that every child who goes through divorce needs some support through that. Um, we offer peer support groups. We're not counseling and not every child necessarily needs counseling, but every child needs support. We work in tandem with um, counseling. Like if kids are in counseling, absolutely. We love that, but they can also come to our groups and they work really well together because they see in our groups, they're not alone. You know, if you walk into a counseling room, you're sitting there, you're talking to another adult and you feel alone. You feel like you're the strange one. You feel like you don't belong in the world. But when you come into a peer support group, it's all of a sudden like, hey, I belong in this world. I'm not alone. There's other people who feel exactly the same way I do. They're going through exactly the same things I'm going through. And it's just, it's a really powerful experience. That's the word that came to mind for me is powerful. Not only the point that you've just made, how it's powerful, it's actually shocking in a way too when we stop and think that those quiet ones are are the ones that are being just overlooked and they aren't necessarily getting the help they need and then that peer support that's powerful for anybody but do you think that the kids are the ones that often at all ages they are the least likely to have that peer support where they find others that have experienced what they've experienced? In a lot of ways, yes. Kids don't talk about it. You know, um, when I decide my marriage is ending, I get to talk to my friends. I get to talk to counselor. I get to, you know, bounce that idea like, hey, you know, things are really struggling in our marriage. I don't know what I'm going to do. We process that ahead of time. Some of that ahead of time. Right. You know, we make a decision based on information that we have. But the kids, they don't have any of that information. So all of a sudden, one day, mom and dad are separated. They may or may not have seen it coming. And they don't necessarily go to school and say, yeah, my parents just divorced. Right? Like, <laughs> Or they blame that's themselves. That's a huge vulnerable statement. 
And they blame themselves. Every child blames themselves. Maybe it's my fault. And then if they speak up about how difficult they, um, the difficult time they're having dealing with this, then they're going to blame themselves even more or feel that, well, now I'm causing more ripples and more problems. And this is just going to make it worse. Or if they do have some secret hope that their parents will get back together, that by speaking up, they're going to eliminate some of that chance. Right. Kids are naturally empathetic. Um, they learn, they grow out of empathy, not into empathy. And so they feel their parents' emotions. They feel their parents' pain, even if it's unspoken. Even if the parent thinks they're doing everything in their power to hide how they're feeling from their kids, they're not. Kids know, like, they are so close. Like, their entire identity, especially as young children, is wrapped up in parents. And as they get older, they start to separate from parents. And then they become very self-focused and their whole identity is wrapped up in themselves. So whichever way or whichever place they're sitting in, they are the core of their world. They're the sun mm-hmm. in a family. Mm-hmm. And so they believe that every decision revolves around them. Every action revolves around them. And so they are inherently going to try to protect their parents' emotions by not adding to it with their own while blaming themselves for everything that's wrong. And they need help. And that's what you're offering. They need that help. At Cornerstone of Hope, can you tell us some of the programs that you offer, the ways that you can help families? We believe in offering support to the whole family. You can't help just pieces of a family when they're going through separation divorce. Separation divorce is a whole family problem. And so we offer support to the whole family. And when I talk about the whole family, I'm talking about single parenting. I'm not talking about how the family looked when they were an intact nuclear family, what we consider as a nuclear family. I'm talking about the family as it is now. And so whichever parent sees the need in their kids and sees the need in themselves and says, I need to reach out for help. That's the nuclear family I'm talking about, or that's the family I'm talking about. Um, So we offer programs for our adults. We have about six different programs that we offer that help adults navigate those emotions, learn to build healthier relationships and, and thrive as they move forward in their lives. In fact, one of the last programs we offer is called Smart Step Families. So when they're ready to start dating and remarrying with kids, that's really hard. And the divorce rate for second marriages is so much higher than first marriages. And so we offer support as they're stepping into that new season of their life. Where we really have passion is for our kids. I think I've made that clear. Um, (laughs) So we've written a curriculum. The the programs we use for adults, we buy and we, we learn and we offer. But the program for our kids, we wrote. So we have Heart Zone. It's for ages 4 to 12. And we have Teens Thrive, which is for the teenagers, um, 13 to 18. You know, if we had a 20-year-old walk in, we would, you know, put them in our Teens Thrive group if that's where they were willing to be. We also offer childcare for zero to three. So there's every member of the family can walk into our rooms and find support. The parents never have to worry about what their kids are doing while they're getting support for themselves. And while they're getting support for themselves, the kids are learning how to navigate the stages of grief, how to build positive mental health tools, and how to resiliency through the traumatic changes that happen in life, not just from the divorce, but 
that can carry them through life as as they keep walking. Well, those skills are so valuable. And if they can learn them during a time that not only do they need them, it will support them, but it becomes a new life skill. Like you said, right through the rest of their lives, they can apply those skills in any relationship or situation that they may face. It's going to be so practical and so valuable. Yeah. The one thing we can count on in life is that something's going to change. Yeah. <laughs> um, six-year-olds aren't always ready to grasp that or, or, or able to recognize that yet. And so I remember one class I walked and the kids were like, I don't want change. Change is awful. Change is bad. And I'm like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. So you want to be a six-year-old fireman? Well, no, I want to grow up. I'm like, so you want change? And it gives them that ability to shift and go, oh, I have to change. And not all change is going to be bad. So I have to learn to how to navigate change because it's going to happen. I'm not going to be a six-year-old firefighter. I'm going to be a 20-year-old firefighter. You know, and it's it's really amazing for me to sit in those rooms with those kids and, and talk with them. And that's all I do is I facilitate a conversation. Right. I mean, I'm guiding it in the places where it needs to go for that lesson. But I just get to listen to the kids talk about it. And the light bulbs that go on is so, I know I, I keep using the word power, it's so empowering, not just for them, but for me too. Because these are lessons I could have learned as a kid. And I get to learn them as an adult teaching them. And, and I'm like so amazed at how strong their relationships, how strong their self-esteem, how strong they're going to be as they grow up because they've got this foundation. Well, and as, them, as they become stronger, they are a, a very strong stabilizing component in their family as well because they learned a healthy way of, reacting and responding and relating to others, which also de-escalates some of the stress and the just the tension in a home. Is that what you've found? Do you do you have testimonials or any stories that you're able to? There's probably tons. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. One of my favorite stories was a dad brought his kids in. It was the fall of 21, brought his two daughters in. He, had, he told me before they came in, he said, you know, they're having meltdowns, they're having temper tantrums, their behavior's off the charts at school mm -hmm. and at home. Behavior is a language, right? That, that's yes. how I see behavior. Behavior is a language. And so their behavior was off the charts. You know, the smallest thing would send them into a meltdown. And it was very hard for him. So he brought them in. He went into our parents' group, and the kids went into our heart zone group, and they were six and nine. So halfway through the program, he came to me and says, you know, we were getting ready. And, she, and my nine-year-old said, Dad, are we going to Heart Zone tonight? And he's like, yeah, we are. She's like, oh, good. I like Heart Zone. I wish we didn't talk about emotions so much. But then I guess it wouldn't be as good. Oh. <laughs> From the mouths of babes. Like, they're there to learn about emotions. They know it. They like it. It's hard. But they like it. And then after Christmas... Um, so in January, he called me up. We, we run September to, Jan, uh, September, September to December and January to April. So in January, he called me up and he says, you know, we had a really hard Christmas. It was their first Christmas separated. They've been separated for about a year, but it was the first Christmas separated. The girls, there was a lot of emotional stuff going on. There was a lot of hard stuff, not just Christmas separated, but other stuff that was impacting the family. And he said the girls didn't melt down. They had the language to tell me how they were feeling 
so they didn't have to use behavior to express themselves. That's powerful. Like for them to be able to have those conversations about this is how I feel, Dad, this is what's bothering me. And him to have the skills as well, because he'd also done his own work in his own group. Right. Hear them. And he said it was such a night and day difference from September to January. It was just night and day for them. One of my favorite stories, because it's such a clear observation. Not only did he communicate with me before, but in the middle and after. But I was like, thank you for bringing me on that journey with you. Um, we had another family years ago who the daughter had been acting out in the school. She'd been acting out at home. Mom brought her and her brother into Heart Zone Teens Thrive. They came through the program a few times because families are always welcome to come back. That's one of the reasons we offer such a variety in our programming. They don't repeat the same program. Kids repeat the same program, but there's always different activities each time. So it looks like a different program. Um, but the mom had brought the, girl, the, the, the daughter and son in, and the teacher went to the mom, and she's like, what have you done? Like, she's such a different child. And the mom told her, and she's like, that's just amazing. You know, just, just to see that learning the emotional language, the verbal language of emotion, changed the behavioral language of emotion. My own kids have been through the program multiple, multiple times. <laughs> because, you know, we started when my marriage ended and then continued when I started volunteering. They just had to keep going to the programs because I had no other else. Like, that was the child care available to me. So they just kept going through the programs. And they're teenagers now. And they have an emotional intelligence that really is unequaled. They know how to navigate emotion. They know how to navigate change. And it doesn't make it easy. Like, they're still teenagers. They still have teenage angst. They still have to figure mm -hmm. out all the nitty-gritty of relationships. But they've got a foundation that you can build on. How do people access the programs at Cornerstone of Hope? Um, they can register on our webpage. We're cornerstoneofhope.ca. If they go to any other dot, they will end up in the United States. Okay. Well, we'll have those links in directly in the show notes. Fabulous. So they can go to our webpage and they can register on the webpage. They can phone me and I will register them. They can show up at one of our groups and they will just be registered on site. Um, it's really simple to access us. We try to make it as barrier free as possible. Our children's programs are always offered free of charge. Single parent families are awfully, often struggling financially. They, you know, when you take a family apart, it leaves financial repercussions. And so we never want finances to be a barrier. We, we ask for donations to support the adult programs for the cost of the workbook. But other than that, we don't charge anything for our programs um, as much as we can. That's incredible. And you are located? We have two sites in Calgary that are offering the program right now. So we're out of, we offer the program at First Assembly Church in Calgary, in the southwest off Elbow Drive. And then the BP Church has partnered with us and they are also offering the programs at their location. Okay. And now, that's in Beddington. Uh, so being it's held in a church, people may be thinking that this is, you know, is going to be a lot of, um, you know, trying to recruit maybe for going to church or that they have to be in a faith community to 
participate? Is that part of the focus of the program or not? We are a faith-based program, but what I'm, when I say that, it, there was a group of Christians that got together and saw this need, and they built an organization to meet the need. We are not um, evangelical, which means we are not there to bring you into any church. We're not, I'm not affiliated with the First Assembly Church in any other way that that's where we are, except that that's where we offer our programs. So our board of directors is diverse. We have uh, many different faiths were being represented there. We have had people walk into our rooms who are Muslim, atheist, agnostic, and of all different walks and of all different faiths. Where you come from doesn't matter. Our goal is to offer the emotional healing. We do talk about God in our programs. Um, children need to have an identifier. They need to give a name. You know, AA talks about a higher power. And that works for adults. But when we talk to kids, we want to give God a name. We want to give that higher power and say, hey, that's God. Now, how your family defines God, that's up to you. And our program is adaptable. It's, it's a conversation that we facilitate. So we are aware of who's in the room and how they want to approach that conversation. And we adapt to that. And that is part of no barriers. I love that. And mm -hmm. I'm happy that we clarified that because that I, we don't want people to resist help and support that's out there. We're all exactly. dealing with human conditions and emotions and we can find supports for our children and our families. That's just fun. That's exactly. And the benefit of running in churches is one, they have the space with multiple different rooms. Mm -hmm. So I can have access to six or seven rooms to run all my programs. They have a volunteer base of people who are passionate about coming out. And so, you know, they've got the resources that are really needed to run a program of this size. You know, when I talk about six or seven rooms, I'm usually running three adult programs with four kids programs. Wow. And I need two facilitators in each room, plus two people not in a room that are in the hall acting as support, backup support for each of the facilitators. So that's, you know, 16 people that we need to run a full contingent of rooms. That's a big volunteer base. You know, it, it takes a whole team to make this happen. So I want to get back to the groups and a couple questions I have, the size of your, of the groups, the children, the different age ranges, size that the groups usually are and what, a little more specifics, what the programs are for each. But while we're talking about your volunteer base, I really want to know for anyone listening, how can they support if they aren't maybe even in need of this right now, maybe, or if they have family or friends who are in need, but they also want to support you in your work, how are the ways they can get involved or what are the ways? Oh, there's so many ways. Um, <laughs> Good. You know, as I just said, it takes a team. You know, we we have a volunteer, we are a volunteer founded company. Um, we have one staff, <laughs> and I do a lot more volunteer than I do paid employment. So that's, you know, that from the top down, we are volunteers. So if they have a passion, if they've got a skill set, you know, we have a board of directors. We have volunteers who sit as facilitators in rooms and that scares a lot of people so i get that 
We have background support people. So those are the people who come in and do prep for the class. They do hallway monitors so that, you know, if a, a volunteer needs to send a kid to the bathroom, but they can't leave the other kids in the room or if they like, hey, my glue dried up. Can you get me some new glue or, oh, the bottle's empty. Can you get me a new glue? Because, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, then that's a hallway monitor and they're doing that running back and forth. It's a layer of security. In fact, when I have a teenager in that role, I just call them security because it makes them feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On top of that, you know, there's social media managers, there's videographers and photographers. There's all these pieces that that make the program run well. So there's often volunteer positions on our webpage. We do post them there. And just if somebody has a skill set, they're like, you know, an event planner. Like, hey, can I help you with fundraising? That would be fabulous. Um, there's always, you know, we are, are donation-based, whether you're donating your time or your money, we're donation-based. We can't run if we don't have enough funds in the bank. You know, and that's the nature of our world. And so always accepting donations. Um, big or small, we give tax donation receipts for over $20. So that's always an option. And just introducing, you know, if you have an organization that's got a passion for helping people who are going through separation and divorce, introduce us. Let's have a conversation. Let's see if we can partner with you and bring you into offering these programs at your location. And that just expands the number of people that we can help. Because we can't help every child at one place. It's, it's never going to be big enough. Um, which ties back to your question about how, how many we put in the room. Because <laughs> I can. I want to jump in first. And I was happy to hear that teenagers can also be involved as volunteers, that, that that's, that is a, a way that families can help. You know, the parents can come, they could bring teens as well to, to be volunteers. And I believe you offer some training. You mentioned how facilitators, it can be intimidating, but you offer training. Am I right in, in my understanding of that? Absolutely. It's not fair to anyone to throw you in the deep end and expect you to swim when you've never been in the pool. (laughs) Exactly. You know, um, so we offer facilitator training. Uh, When we partner with other organizations, we offer coordinator and facilitator training for them. And we're there to support them along the way. You know, any questions, any concerns, any problems that, that jump up, we have about 20 years of experience doing this so we know when we face just about everything and if I haven't personally then I know somebody who has and I can reach out and say hey you know this happened what do we do about that and so we're putting it together in a package and this is where a videographer volunteer would be great so we're putting it together in a package because we also want to offer some video training as we expand more but right now we do in-person training I show up at the facility we start our programs the third week of September and the third week of January, and we run for 12 weeks. So the second week of September and January, I'm doing training for facilitators. And that makes it a week longer for my facilitators, but it also gives them the tools as they're stepping into the room and introduces the team to each other so that they can know where their support level is going to be. We also, off, um, we also have a team meeting every week. So we'll connect before class and then we connect after class and kind of do a debrief and say, how did it go? Where's the emotional place you are? And that's our peer support. 
because we're dealing with a lot of emotions, not just for the kids, but as we deal with the emotions for the kids, we deal with emotions for ourselves. And so having a place to debrief afterwards gives them the opportunity to go, yeah, this was really hard for me because I didn't know that that was a tool in my tool belt. Or that was really empowering for me because I do that and I never realized that's what I needed to be doing. So it's really cool to see people learning it for themselves, even as they teach. Well, it's really great. You've got that built in because it, it's a space for growth. But like you say, it's a safe space also to debrief. Do you go on site with to other organizations or where do you offer your training? Um, when we're partnering with other organizations, I offer it on their site. They are also welcome to come join the training on my site. So if I'm offering training for facilitators at First Assembly on the second week of September and January, that is open to all of our partner locations. And if they're feeling a need for extra training, if they're like, just, you know what, I'm still scared, I'm still nervous, let's step into her, their training there. It's going to be a repeat of what I've done at their location, but they are welcome to come in. If an organization has a training, then we also invite people from other organizations like, hey, we're doing a training. It's going to be oh, at EP Church yes. at this date if you want to join us. Uh, we do charge for our training. That's significant. You know, it's a full eight-hour day, um, sometimes two eight-hour days. And so it's a huge chunk of time. And so if an organization is partnering with someone else, then there's, you know, hey, the cost is going to be $10 a person. Again, we keep everything as low as we can, but right. there's, there's right. Now, once people complete the training, what, what are they qualified? What, what type of training have they now received and that are they able to do? You say a facilitator or coordinators, but can you just describe that a little more? Expand well, on. the coordinator training sets the coordinator up to organize and run the program. So they are in charge of making sure all the materials are prepared every week, making sure they have all the facilitators in place and that everybody is assigned to the right room so that when they walk in, they're like, okay, this is where you're all going. So they are, in every sense of the word, the coordinator of Heart Zone and Teens Thrive. They know what And that's the program specifically you're talking about? Yeah, those are the kids' programs that we're talking about. Okay. And um, separately for each of the programs you offer? I usually do it all together okay. because you never know who's going to feel passionate about the young kids versus the old kids. I've had people walk in. It's like, I want to do teenagers. And I'm like, my teen room is full. Can I put you in a, in a heart zone group? Can I put you in the seven to nine? And they're like, yeah, okay. And I'll put them in seven to nine. And they'll be like, I never want to leave that box. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> they love it. So you don't know what you, and, and that's the fear piece, right? You don't know what you're walking into. You're not really adept in navigating with that age group or your kids are teenagers. So you think that's where you belong. Or mm -hmm. You didn't enjoy it when your kids were six because your life was really stressful, but all of a sudden you discover that you enjoy the six-year-olds. So it can vary. Um, so I, I always train everybody together. The programs are very similar. Um, heart zone goes from four to 12. And so it's really easy to just train your heart zone facilitators all at the same time and train your teens thrive because the reality is when you're facilitating a group, you are leading a conversation guided by activities and crafts with kids in the room. And it's not much different from leading an adult class, to be perfectly honest. 
Sometimes the kids' classes are easier than the adult <laughs> But they're all run the same. And so even though the material might be different in each room, the concepts and the foundation don't change. Okay. So I interrupted you. You, you described the training for coordinators and then facilitators. How is that different? Um, so facilitators, we teach them how to lead a conversation. We teach them how to use the activities as tools to guide the conversation. So Heart Zone and Teens Thrive are set up so that they address one emotion a week. Ah. The first week, and not necessarily emotion, but we try to take them through the stages of grief. The first week we walk in and the, the topic is, why am I here? We don't mince words at Cornerstone. We are absolutely, you're here to talk about the emotions through your parents' divorce. We're here to talk about the stages of grief. We have some kids who come in after the death of a parent. And so we're here to talk about your emotions through the changes. We're here to talk about your experience. And we start from the very first week by addressing. Because sometimes they walk in and are like, I don't know why I'm here. My mom told me I had to come. Right. We've had kids say that my mom came. So I'm here. And parents, you know, as as much as we try to explain to them what we're doing, they don't really understand it either because they are in an emotionally challenging position. I just like, you know what? I need help. They have a kid's program. You're going to it. What I really love about the programs that are offered is that there is support for the adults and the children and that they can attend at the same time. And there's, there is, there is that support, even for the very young children, there's care that is offered for them. So I think that's just, it's very fitting. It's, it's very practical. It's been very intentionally set up and, and planned. So I really like that aspect of it. Very supportive for families. It's so important. You know, when I was a single, when I became a single mom, my children were three and six. And I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything unless I had childcare. And I was in a position where I didn't have support close to home. So I didn't have childcare. I couldn't afford to hire a babysitter. I didn't know anybody who was willing to take my kids for two hours or two and a half hours so that I could go to a meeting. And to find a place where they're like, yeah, we got your kids. They're going to be safe and they're going to learn some emotional healing while they're here. That's so powerful. Like that just, that makes a mom's heart happy. Like, wow, they're going to be okay. And not only are they going to be okay while I'm in my meeting, they're going to be okay long-term because they're going to learn tools to help them be okay. Well, and it helps with that mom guilt or parent guilt, not just moms, but that parent guilt that, you know, I need this for my health and my well-being, but I am sacrificing time with my children or I am, you know, putting myself above them. But in this case, it's not like that. They don't, it's just another reason that they can't put that guilt on themselves and not get the help they need. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about families where they're doing a 50-50 split or, you know, I only get my kids three days a week. I don't want to lose that mm-hmm. two hours. Um, because they're bringing the kids in, it's only an hour and a half. And because their kids are getting support and help, they're building a better relationship because they only let 
mom took me to that place or dad took me to that place where we learned mm-hmm. to be better people, to have better relationships. That's it. Like parents are doing the work. We're mimicking what we want our children to, to learn. Like there is that example for our kids that we are setting and it's visibly being set. Like they can see, hey, they're not just sending me to do work, which is, and, and like I said, I love therapy for kids. But when you put a kid in therapy, they don't see you also doing work. You take them, they go into a room with a therapist, they do all the talking, and you leave. And even if you're going to your own therapy appointment, they're not seeing that. But when you walk into Cornerstone, I'm going to my group, mom's going to their group, they'll come back when they're done, or when we're both done, or dad. Again, I, I, I tend to talk from mom perspective because I'm a woman. But we're, we're showing them. We're not just telling them what needs to be done and how to be healthy. And like the example you shared earlier where the feedback was coming from the children. Oh, we're going there. Yeah. It's just the work might be tough, the emotional language but they are seeing the difference and you know that's we are finishing our program right now our our, we have we always end with a party so our party is on Monday (laughs) fun and um so we've asked the families the children and the adults for feedback and kids don't tell you a story like they're not like oh yeah um I was really misbehaving before but now I'm behaving perfectly (laughs) what they say is I have seen changes in my family since we started coming to Cornish, to Heart Zone. And yes, I would recommend this to a friend. And that is, that says everything. Like, they would tell their friends that this is the place to come to if their parents were going through divorce. And that, that says that they found value. And that says a lot for a kid to share that with a friend and, and have like just that courage to do that mm-hmm. because peers can be very, peers it can be mean word. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it goes back to that conversation of, you know, kids not going to go to school and say, Hey, my parents got divorced. I'm really struggling emotionally. I mean, that would take a very emotionally intelligent child to do that. They're not going to do that because somebody in the class is just like, oh, it's your fault. No wonder your parents aren't together. You do that, you know, and that just compounds their fears. Whereas we get to alleviate the fears, but we do that. Well, then it might give other children dealing with that who are the quiet ones, the courage to talk to one of their friends that they have seen a difference or this person mentions, oh, at Cornerstone we did whatever. And, and if they've dropped even comments about that, it's going to get the curiosity of those who could benefit from these programs that you offer. And maybe they will ask their parents or mention it and that awareness will grow. I hope so. I hope that the kids can, can do that and go home. It's like, Hey, you know, their parents got divorced. If you went to heart zone, can you find that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds a lot fun, of fun. And, yeah exactly <laughs> now what programs you mentioned there's several for adults as well and for the parents can you 
expand on that a little more, please. Um, so we offer divorce care, single and parenting, and grief share. Grief share is about um, death. It's not for families who have had grief in other areas. It is specifically designed for, for loss after death. Um, so it's kind of our one course that steps into death grief as opposed to other grief. Um, then we also have Boundaries and Change How You Think, which are programs that help you shift your perspective and set better relationships in place. And it's so amazing. Actually, through COVID, I took the Boundaries course and I flipped it a little bit and I made a Boundaries for Teens online program that we're planning to incorporate into our general offerings because it was such a moving experience for the teenagers and for myself leading it. They just see things from a different perspective. And again, to give them the, the tools of boundaries at their age. We had a girl joined us from New York. Um, we had a couple kids up from central Alberta. We had some Calgary kids because we were on Zoom. We could do that. And it was so amazing to walk with them through the boundaries program. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I loved doing Don't it. I apologize like, for your enthusiasm. <laughs> it's exciting. We really need to bring that back in. So what I'm planning to do is offer Teens Thrive in the fall and Boundaries for Teens in the spring. And so that every year they can have those options and the Teens Thrive sets them up and the Boundaries kind of gives them the tools for, for, for future relationships. You know, so we can deal with healing from the past and then moving into the future all at the same time. Oh, and what's that good, what that will do for the change in our culture and the future generations. I it's hope so. Absolutely incredible. I thank you so much for all the work that you do. From, from my perspective and all of our listeners and the communities that you're able to touch. And now that they have that awareness that there are programs and services like yours available, then I'm hoping that that even grows. As far as expansion, is there, are you in other communities? Are you looking to get into other communities? You mentioned training in other organizations. So that would be one way that people can, can become facilitators and coordinators for those programs. And then would they have access to the materials that you have so they can offer it in other places? How does that work? So we are marketing our Teens Thrive and Heart Zone programs. Um, when they buy those curriculums, it comes with the training. Amazing. Um, we're never going to just say here, yeah, here's the program, go and run with it because it's going to sit on a shelf somewhere right? or it's not going to be run to its full potential because they're not going to quite grasp the underlying messages in each. You know, it's very hands-on and activity-based. We have our fear program. I make a big bucket of um, goo, like I'll mix up pancake mix with oatmeal and pudding <laughs> It's and it's gross. And then we <laughs> stick things that people are afraid of in that goo. And so the kids have to stick their hand in there and pull something out and talk about their fears about that thing. Or if they don't have fears or if somebody else in the room might have a fear about that or they know someone who has a fear about they talk about those fears. You can't do that over Zoom. You can't. Right. You can't do that if you don't want to do it. Like you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's just a gross activity. But when we go into training, I'm like, these activities are set up to teach them about that emotion. 
And there's such a powerful thing about sticking your hand in a bucket of goo. That tactile, yes. And and that's an activity that a lot of people are like, oh, I hate that one. Please don't give me that one. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but I'm the coordinator and I get to give it to you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> we also take a tent and we make the room, we turn off all the lights and they go in a tent with flashlights and they have pictures of things that you are afraid of. They have pictures of parents fighting, they have pictures of lightning storms, they have pictures of graveyards. And they get to talk about their fears. And you can't do that unless you actually do it. Mm-hmm. And so the training just, solidifies the reasons why we're doing these activities. The impact that those experiences would have would be lifelong. You're not going to forget anytime soon doing those things that you really face a fear in a safe environment and you talk about it and you learn how to cope with that and how to manage that response and also discover that you aren't alone in that fear. Oh, absolutely. And you get to see a different perspective. I mean, my kids are not afraid of snakes, but somebody else in their room is. And so it solidifies empathy and compassion for others who, you know, that doesn't bother me. I bother someone else. Mm -hmm. And if someone has a really traumatic event, the lights go on, the activity stops. Like we're not there to traumatize kids. Right. We're there to help them face their fears put a name to their fears. You know, we talked about kids are always afraid that they're responsible for the parent separation. And they're so afraid of that, that they don't want to name it, but we get to name it in that room. So a lot of kids think that their parents separation is about them. Has anyone here ever felt that way? And they get to say yes, without saying, yeah, you know what? I think my parents divorced because of me. You know, they get to identify the fear without having to, claim the fear and then we get to talk about how it's not true and that divorce is an adult program adult decision that affects and you see them go oh like there's a weight that comes off and we get to do that with a lot of things with them where we name the fear and they get to go oh that's not true you know if it's a really ingrained fear it's going to take more than that but at least it's a start for them to go well, and how li- maybe the other things I believe aren't true too. Exactly, and and they they can start to explore some of the other things that that have held them trapped in certain responses or behaviors, and challenge that, and then grow from there. This is just so exciting. I, I oh th- yeah, the curriculum comes with training because I don't think it's reasonable to separate them and then of course training is always available as an extra so like two years later like you know we've got a whole new group of facilitators in and we need some more training or we really struggled with that last session can you come and help us more like I'm always there to be like shoot me an email ask me a question bring me in for more training like we are there to support each organization through the journey of of setting up their own program incredible so they have support beyond the initial trainings and offerings. And I thank you so much for sharing the example that you have, because it really helps draw that, that picture for us of just what the experience would be to come into Cornerstone of Hope and, and work with you. Or if we hear of programs in organizations in other parts of, you know, the country or the world or our province for sure, that we will be more aware of what it, what it is that is being offered. So I think that 
so encouraging to know that that's out there. Absolutely. And there's a lot of organizations that are offering the programs for adults. Like divorce care and single parenting are offered in churches throughout the province, throughout the United North America. Um, but there's not always an accompanying kids program. Right. And it kind of breaks my heart that we're helping adults, but we're not helping the kids. And I'm so passionate about it because when we help the kids, we set them up for success as adults and they have a better chance of healthier relationships. And their families, like forget the future, right now they have a better chance at relationships with both parents, with their siblings, with their step-siblings. You know, it just sets them up for better success within the family. And, you know, we get to talk too about, you know, how is your family changing? Do you have stepchildren? Do you have half-children? Is your, has one of your parents gotten remarried? How do you feel about that? We incorporate those into the conversation. So they get to talk about it in this safe place. Um, the other thing we do is everybody from the facilitator to the youngest child sign a confidentiality agreement. What you say in that room is safe from them. You can be guaranteed nobody's going to go out and tattle on you. Nobody's going to go out and share your innermost fears and secrets unless you've given them permission to do so. And as facilitators, we can say, hey, you know, it's something that needs to be communicated. You need help communicating. And we help you facilitate that conversation with the parent. And they can say yes or no, and that's where it lands. And if they say yes, then we can go and invite the parent into a private space and say, you know, this is the conversation. And, and, and just to help facilitate it. Because kids are sometimes afraid of having this conversation. And sometimes they're like, no, I can do it on my own. Um, I remember one family, the, the, the daughter had said, I want to spend less time at dad's house. I don't feel safe there. And I asked, I said, do you need me to help talk to your mom about that? And because we had talked about it in class, she's like, no, I think I can do it now. And that's so powerful to be a part of that growth step. And this was, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old. It wasn't a young child, obviously. But she was at that age where she's like, I don't like going to dad's. It doesn't feel comfortable. It interferes with my friendship base. It interferes with the things I want to be doing. And then they get to have those conversations. And that's just one example, you know, it's, Sometimes it's the, the deep conversations that they're just, I'm afraid of this. Or if you talk to your mom about it, so we encourage them. And anytime, like when I say confidentiality agreement, we're not there to say, you can't talk to your moms. We're not here to encourage secrets. What we're saying is my story is my story and you can't share it. Your story is your story and you can tell anybody you want, but you can't tell them who I said and the kids really get it. I actually often hear the kids shushing their parents. Mom, you can't talk about that. That was in your class. <laughs> well, and you and mentioned uh, siblings. There was an example too where. Yeah, I had twin girls. Mm -hmm. And they had their own experiences. Like my parents separated. They each experienced that differently at an emotional level. And so one would be saying, um, this is how I felt. This was you know what happened and and the sister would be like no that's not what it is and i had to stop them and I, in this room you're not siblings in this room your story is your story and her story is her story and you can experience the same event and have 
completely different um, stories and, and experiences come out of that and feelings. So if this is her experience, you can't tell her she's wrong. And they have such, I, I know them, they're now 18, and they have such a good sibling relationship because they've recognized that they can experience the same event and have a different response to it. It's amazing. I am so happy that you mentioned the confidentiality portion of this because that is definitely a huge factor in people wanting to be involved or involving their kids. And that's, that's phenomenal for the safety that is being offered in that environment. And I love that it's, it's a beautiful example with the siblings too, because it creates that compassion especially when you see it, that example between siblings, because that also works in work environments, school environments, wherever else, that they've learned that compassion and empathy to understanding that I saw or experienced it this way, but someone else has their own unique take on it. And that compassion that they can learn at a, at a younger age will do them very well through life. I think that's just incredible. Absolutely. And we do our best to not put siblings in the same room for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, a four-year-old is at a different developmental level than a six or seven-year-old or even a five-year-old. And so where possible, we divide the groups by ages so that siblings often end up in different rooms. We had a couple of, kid, uh, of siblings right now that the older sibling is little bit of a parent to the younger one yes and we've had to truly separate them and say hey he's okay over there we're in this room for you and it took him a few weeks to figure out that he was in that room for him and he didn't have to worry about his brother in the other room and even to see that growth where they you know, he couldn't stop checking through the window. So we hung cur we had to hang curtains so he couldn't check mm -hmm. through the window to see what his brother was doing. And for him now at the end of the program, he's like, my brother's fine over there. He's safe over there. He's doing his own thing. And I'm doing my own thing. And I'm here for me. It's so amazing. And part of that is, is a bit of a deflection as well. Because if I can focus on trying to protect my, my younger sibling, I've had to maybe in the environment I've been in, then I don't need to deal with what I'm dealing with because I have this big role of being a protector. And so it stunts their ability to, to learn those skills for themselves or, or their healing. And this is, so that's incredible. If you can, can have that space to allow just, okay, I know that everything's okay with this when I've been protecting and now I can allow that healing in myself and take that time. And, and that's kind of, um, kind of a mirror of what I mentioned earlier, where parents feel guilt and they feel that responsibility. Like I can't, you know, I'm being selfish to look after myself versus, you know, what's going to happen with the, with my kids. I, I don't, I can't take the time to look after myself because, um, you know, that's, it's selfish or, or they feel guilt. And so I, I hadn't really thought of it in the sibling sense. And I think that's pretty common. And absolutely. And it shows that our tools 
for survival are being passed down to our kids. Mm. If I, as a mom, am deflecting because I know my kids need help more than I need help, if I'm so focused on protecting them that I'm not dealing with my stuff, and then my older kid does that with my younger kid, or vice versa, I've seen it in the reverse where the younger sibling is the protector. How much more powerful is it if we reach out for help and I model getting help and changing my tools of survival to healthier ones? And they get to see that and they get to do that as well. It's really, really helps the kids navigate. And they learn so much by watching what we do. But if they're watching what we do and we're actively teaching them how to do it better, they're just going to learn it so much stronger. And the progress is going to be quicker because the environment is set to be receptive to these changes. Everyone's going through it together. That's probably part of the success of a program. Like That's a lot of the success of the program. It's why we deal with the whole family. It's why we say, we've got a program for the adults. We've got a program for the kids. And, you know, some people come in and it's the parent and the parent is like, I need a program for me. I love that you have childcare. And they don't see it as anything more than childcare until they're in it. And they're like, oh, my kids are learning stuff. And other parents are like, I need something for my kids. Okay, I'll take a class. I'm like, wow, I really needed that. So I see both ends of that where, you know, whether you're walking in for your kids to get help or whether you're walking for you to get help and you end up helping both. And it's just like, how much stronger of a family is that going to be? How much better relationship are they going to have as they navigate, you know, and it's, as these kids become teenagers, as they navigate those transitions and changes and maturities, steps that we go through and as we change, like, yeah, you've got to have that foundation and, and developing it intentionally, just like everybody else's success. You know, we've talked a lot about hard zone, but our teenagers, they walk into the rooms and we don't treat them like adults, but we don't treat them like kids. And we give them a different perspective. You know, teenagers are having their brains completely rewired. They are right to be rewiring their brains in healthy emotional pathways. And what they're doing while that rewiring is happening is what gets rewired into them. And so it's just that opportunity to solidify, this is how you approach conflict. This is how you can build self-esteem. This is how you can communicate with your peers and your parents. This is how you can manage your anger so that you don't hurt yourself or others. Like those tools are so greatly important and never more so than when they're teenagers. Very true. You're kind of stuck in that limbo between adulthood and childhood. And to learn those tools is, is really important and valuable. I'm going to wrap this up. I thank you for your time. I want to have you back again sometime. I, I am so excited to offer another way for people to be able to hear about you and find you. So appreciative that we were able to connect and, and bring, bring you forward to, to share what you offer, because the more people that can find it, the, the greater change in our culture and the powerful tools that that our next generations as well will have um, are going to be available. And thank you for the conversation and the opportunity to share more. Um, I, I can talk forever about this stuff, so I'd love to be a guest again and uh, and keep keep talking and 
and just sharing about how, how life-changing what we do actually is. That's amazing. Uh, and again, I, I want to have you back because I want to have these in more bite-sized pieces for people to, to actually listen and think, oh my gosh, I, I know somebody or I personally could use this help. And I think we shared enough here that even organizations who are looking for these tools, that they will see the opportunity to offer this to their volunteers or to their staff and spread this out across a wider area and have it available in even more places. So yeah, I think this is just so important for not just not just the families that need it, but for all the support systems to know that you're out there and, and that they can, we, you have more tools available for them to help others. And one of the things we do for organizations is we go in and we do a half hour, 45 minute presentation so they can learn oh. more about what we do. They can just book that with me. I come to them or we do it on Zoom if they're at a distance. And I come in and I do a 45-minute presentation so they know exactly what Heart Zone and Teens Thrive are and how they can offer and what partnering with us looks like. So they can then go, hey, we want this. Or we need to put this on the budget for next year. Or however that looks for them. But we do that so they get all the information. That's very good. I'm happy you added that. Thank you again, Sarah. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you and I look forward to doing it again in the near future. Thank you, Tina. Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or suggestions for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information, follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com slash terms of service. The link is in the show notes. And the legal language, our disclaimer, Divorce Magazine Canada website, events, resource groups, blog, and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for, nor liability, for any claims made in the presenting of this information.